Kia ora, I'm Andrew from Aro Video in Wellington, New Zealand and welcome to episode 18, a special edition of Back to the Disc Player, the Aro Video podcast, as we are commemorating 30 years of Aro Video, so we're going to run things a bit differently. For those of you that don't know, it's inspired by our Adopt-A-Movie scheme, enabling film lovers to purchase an exclusive lifelong affiliation with a title in our library. We've had over 500 film adoptions from about 250 customers in the two and a half years we've been running the scheme, and I'm never going to get close to interviewing all of them. So for this occasion, I put the feelers out to see if those customers could make a recording of their own to say something about the movie they've adopted. I said somewhere between 10 seconds and 3 minutes, so the recordings are of varying length and sound quality, and they draw from all sorts of places. But the one thing they have in common is their love for movies and the strong identification they have uh, in something uh, meaningful uh, in a film, and um, it is indeed a beautiful thing to hear. I got about 25 respondents, which is just the tip of the iceberg, but found the experience of listening to them um, often very moving, and I thank them for their kindness and generosity. Also, as part of this uh, edition, I've convened, or are about to convene, other staff members here at Aro Video to have a discussion to suitably mark the occasion. Uh, the intention is to bring in other voices into the mix, apart from my own, um, and we will hopefully talk about things like the 100 films from 30 years list that I've put together with lots of customer feedback and hope to bring you some insight into the machinations of running a video store in 2019. Hopefully it's not too chaotic. So um, that's a bit later, but for now let's hear some uh, customers about their adopter movies. Hi there, my name is Virginia Keast and uh, I run Never Stop Dancing, which is a dance fitness and dance business here in Wellington. Um, I've been a fan of Aro Video for a long time, ever since I first moved to Wellington as a student and I flattered in the Aro Valley. So when I heard about the Adopt a Video scheme, I was super keen to be involved. So uh, my business, Never Stop Dancing, adopted two movies, uh, Grease and Dirty Dancing. The choice of movies was easy. So at Never Stop Dancing, we danced to iconic songs from both of these movies. Um, but also, um, my classes have a have you know a real range of ages in them, from teens to people in their seventies. But the majority of the people who come to my class are women in their thirties, forties, and fifties. And for these women, and for me too, these two movies are iconic coming of age movies. We know the words to all the songs, we know the moves, and we could all probably rattle off a bit of cheesy dialogue if we had to. For me personally, I've seen both of these movies more times than I care to remember, and most of those views would have been before the age of 18. Uh, I know that nobody puts baby in a corner, and that the only sensible response to someone saying, Sandy, is the phrase, tell me about it, stud. <laughs> I know my pink ladies from my tea birds, and I cannot walk through the grocery aisle of a supermarket without the line I carried a watermelon flashing across my brain. I also know that a young Patrick Swayze dancing with his shirt off is a beautiful thing. <laughs> uh, for me, the most important part of these movies are the songs and the dancing. I loved dancing and singing along to these movies when I was 15, and I still love dancing and singing along to these movies now. 
And it is that love of the music and the moves uh, that meant Never Stop Dancing just had to adopt these two movies. Um, over time, you know, I may forget the cheesy lines and unlikely plot twists, but the music and the moves will always have a really important place in my heart. And Patrick, of course. <laughs> Hi, Andrew and team. My name is Melissa Evans-Scott. I live in Wellington and I am one of your movie adopters. I have adopted two movies of my own and I have adopted others for friends and family. The first movie I adopted was Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Numa. I remember the first time I ever saw Tu Wong Fu was at a friend's house when I was at high school. Before I saw this film, Priscilla Queen of the Desert was one of my all-time favourites. However, due to some fantastic lines and wonderful actors, Tu Wong Fu ended up surpassing Priscilla for me. This was why I had to adopt Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Numa. Then I became a Patreon member, and with it I got to adopt another movie. This time I chose The Dark Knight. I have been a Batman fan ever since I was a little girl, so it felt right to pick a Batman film. I chose The Dark Knight because of Heath Ledger as the Joker. I loved the gritty portrayal of the Joker and finally felt he was represented properly as the dark and sinister character he really is, rather than the lighter versions previously seen on film. I am so pleased that I was able to do something to help keep Aro Video going. I have studied film and media at secondary and tertiary levels, and without Aro Video I would not have had access to materials that I needed for my studies. Thank you Andrew for finding creative ways to keep the coolest little video store running for those of us with eclectic tastes. Hannah from Wellington here, adopted parent of the 1990s cult classic Reality Bites. My partner adopted that movie on my behalf for my birthday because I think it is the best movie of all time. I know it like the back of my hand and I quote it often. Proud to be an adopted parent at RO Video. Occasionally we'll come across a person who thinks that Video stores are a thing of the past. And to that person, I would say that nobody, nobody can eat 50 eggs. That quote some of you of a certain age might recognize uh, from 1967's Cool Hand Luke. So that is an appropriated quote from Reality Bites there. I'm not sure if Hannah knew that or not. She probably did. I always thought Reality Bites was a terrific pun and therefore a great title. Um, anyway, the high school movie uh, is a popular one with adopters. Uh, here's another one. Hey, bud, let's party. Why did I, you know, taught of the fast times? Adopt fast times of Richmond High? What are you people on? Dope? I adopted it because it's awesome. Totally awesome. All right, Hamilton. That's the guy, not the city. Thefasttimes.co. Learn it, know it, live it. Happy birthday, Aura Video. I'm pretty sure that was not a genuine American accent, so my apologies to our American uh, guests on this episode, uh, the next of which is uh, Ben, uh, and we only managed to get a copy of the out-of-print movie that he adopted after he left the country, so I had to send him a picture of it instead. 
Hi, my name is Ben. I'm from Madison, Wisconsin, and I adopted the movie Silver Streak for RO Video. Um, it stars Gene Wilder, who is a fellow Wisconsinite. That is the primary reason why I adopted it. But uh, well, it's admittedly one of Gene Wilder's more middling movies, but it does have my f- personal favorite Gene Wilder scene in which Richard Pryor disguises him to sneak him on board a train, and it's kind of shocking and uh, hilarious, and I I adore it. Uh, it also has Patrick McGowan from The Prisoner as the villain, and Jaws from the James Bond movies is a heavy. He can't do a whole lot better than that. Um, and yeah, just given that uh, how much Arrow Video and its collection meant to me while I was living in Wellington, it seemed uh, like a no-brainer to offer this little piece of myself to add to its collection. I hope you all enjoy it. Yeah, Ben was in fact the first person to make a recording, so uh, thank you very much, man. Uh, In this next section, a census warning. It contains drug use, references of self-harm, and allusions to male reproductive organs. Hello, Auro Video. Congratulations on your 30th anniversary. My name is Ali Getz, and I adopted a video from you guys uh, sometime, I think, in the fall of 2017. Um, my video was Santa Sangre, which is, I think, my favorite movie. Um, I was with my friend up in Zealandia. We were we split a tab of acid, and we're looking at all the all the trees and wildlife, and we came walking down the hill, and we just popped into your shop for a moment, and it was just such a pleasant, lovely... Uh, pillar of the community sort of feeling in there and my my friend Akiwi urged me to adopt a movie so I adopted my favorite one and uh, yeah I have it hanging on uh, hanging on my wall I never got to adopt the video and actually watch it but it kind of exists as a hopeful one day I will return sort of a thing so yeah congratulations Talofa, I'm Pippa in Wellington and I adopted Dan Po. French for In My Skin, written, directed by and starring Marina Devan. I like this DVD for the way it shines, even in the dimmest of lights. I also like the movie held on it. It's comforting in a weird way, though some may call it tough or even horror. It involves gore, urban alienation, and the fragmentation of the mind and parts of the body. Sometimes it even uses split screen. It also has a gentleness. There's some disassociation when she's poring over her initial accidental wound. The doctor wonders how she even got by without coming earlier. Does this leg even belong to you is a key moment. But the bit later on, where she wants to look after the skin she's cut out of herself to preserve it in private. It's sad. It may seem messed up, but to me it was sort of logical reaction to an environment this woman found herself in. To be in a city, to have a body... The way we do, as any imprisoned animal would do, and gnaw at our own selves. Why do we do all sorts of little and big things to destroy ourselves? It's a serious question. I guess lots of films pose it. Uh, If adopting means that someone else is more likely to watch it and have their own thoughts, and other minds with whom to share them and hopefully not feel ultra despair here, then that's great. Please note the bonus commentary track is also very worthwhile. Finally, thank you to our video staff member Svender for the original recommendation. My name is Johnny, I'm from Wellington, and my adopted movie is Aizawa Takahata's Pompoko. 
Within Studio Ghibli, Hayao Miyazaki gets the most attention. And don't get me wrong, he's a total genius. But spare a thought for his late, great collaborator, Azao Takahara. In his long career, Takahara never once made a bad movie. I adore Grave of the Fireflies, Only Yesterday, and The Tale of Princess Kaguya. All of these films pushes diverse animation style and bittersweet tone much further than Miyazaki's films, which tend to be a little bit more straightforward. But my favourite of all his films is Pompoko. Pompoko is about a tribe of tanuki, a species of Japanese wild dog that looks more like a raccoon. These cute wee animals wage a protracted resistance against encroaching urban development from Tokyo. Takahata treats this conflict as an activist movement. Over the course of the film, the tanuki deal with questions around strategy, praxis, the practicability of violent versus non-violent approaches, intergenerational conflict, and whether their movement has a place for foxes. What is most notable about this film is the same reason it hasn't gained a lot of traction in the English language market. In Japanese folklore, tanuki are trickster figures whose magical, shape-shifting powers are inextricably linked to their gigantic scrotums, and Takahara saw no problem in bringing this motif into what is ostensibly a children's film. In the dubbed version, the tanuki's enchanted ball sacks are translated as raccoon pouches, but it's pretty clear what they are. Our fairy heroes use their engorged appendages as parachutes, moonhoppers, and a supernatural aid when transforming and creating illusions to trick humans. If you can get past the testicles, I highly encourage you to check out Pompoko. It is my favourite environmentalist film, my favourite film about organising, and one of the most visually interesting films ever put out by Studio Ghibli. That's Johnny Crawford, who I hope to have as a guest on the podcast next year to talk about other Studio Ghibli films and next year's Wellington Film Society lineup, of which he is involved in. This next person is someone who could also have their own episode. Her name is Sarah Lang, an author and illustrator, which I did not know until we started talking about this thing that you're listening to right now. Sarah takes us back to the coming-of-age movie, as we've already heard, uh, expressed for Greece and Dirty Dancing and Reality Bites. Uh, now, I said I asked for clips between 10 seconds and 3 minutes. Well, Sarah gave me an unsolicited 8 minutes on the movie Pretty in Pink. And I decided to play it for you uncut because I think she says everything there is to say about movie love. And in this genre, movies as a modern manual for courtship. My name is Sarah Lang and I live in Kaurori. Um and the movie that I adopted is Pretty in Pink. I first saw it in 1986 when it came out and I suspect that the reason why I adopted it was fueled by nostalgia. I remember being 13 and I saw it with my incredibly sophisticated 14-year-old friend in Palmerston North at the Regent Theatre. And we were often taken to the Regent Theatre on school trips and the person who'd take the tour would like to tell us, because I went on this tour a couple of times, I'm pretty sure, about how the walls had been sponge-painted in beer and urine, the builders' beer. I think they ran out of beer, so the, so the builders had to, um, or the decorators, had to supplement their, their sponge paint with a little bit of urine. Um, so anyway, I sat there watching this movie, and being a 13-year-old, it just seemed incredibly romantic and also it was so refreshing to see Molly Ringwald on the screen she was from the wrong side of the tracks she was poor she had 
Harry Dean Stanton as a dad. He was a cool dad. She had this incredible style and she was a redhead and there weren't so many redheads who were the stars of movies in the 1980s. But yeah, she was just definitely kind of edgy and an outsider and I really liked her outsider perspective because at 13 I myself was feeling like a little bit of an outsider, deeply shy, always on the fringes. Um, and her best friend was Ducky. Now, he was a fantastic character as well. I think he was trying to goofball his way to her heart. He was, um, you know, you could tell that he kind of had a crush on her, but um, but she was not having a bar of it. And he had very cool style as well. He wore this little hat and these funny little round glasses. Um, something, I think part of the seduction of the movie for me as well was the soundtrack. Um, it had that song by Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, If You Leave is the um, the opening track and of course the psychedelic furs pretty in pink um, and Ducky being your classic alternative outsider was a Smiths fan and you could tell that because he had a he had a Smiths poster on the back of his door and as he sat there alone longing for Andy's love that's Molly Ringwald's character please 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 let me get what I want played by the Smiths which was precisely the kind of song which I played in my bedroom as an angsty teenager. So so I really related to him. But as I say, Andy, Molly, was not having a bar of, um, of ducky. She was after Blaine. Blaine was the rich boy. And I think as a 13-year-old, I probably didn't see um, Ducky's charms. And I, I just... I just completely was absorbed by the film's narrative which was that Blaine was the desirable guy and so I longed for Blaine and Andy to get together but of course everything was coming in between them getting together I mean mainly mainly um Blaine's asshole friend played by James Spader who himself I think I think James Spader, whatever his name was in the movie, had been rebuffed by Andy. So he was trying to tell Blaine that she was no good, that she was she was not the girl for him and that he was going to be socially isolated if he took Andy to the prom. Um, back to the other musical moments. I think there is this brilliant scene which I was reminded of because it sort of came, became one of those Facebook viral videos. And that was of... Um, Ducky going into the mall where Andy works behind the um, at a record store, and um, I think she works there with her friend, her friend Iona, who's this, who's also this incredibly stylish woman who's continuously transforming her look. She sort of goes from kind of a punk rocker to a 1950s beehived um, diva to actually in the end somebody strangely conservative which is really disappointing but anyway but anyway they go into this record store and um Otis Redding's Try a Little Tenderness is on and um and Ducky does the most brilliant lip sync slash dance to it and um whenever I whenever I play that song I try to emulate that dance and I have to say I've never quite mustered the same complete absorption that Ducky has and, and the kind of sense that he is inhabited by the ghost of Otis Redding when he goes and screams out try a little tenderness or whatever it is. Anyway, it's a beautiful scene and it's quite easy to come by if you if you Google it. Um, 
Yeah. Um, I think the other thing which I really loved about this movie, which, like I say, I saw when I was 13, and I think I've only seen it twice because my other memory of seeing it is in my mid-20s. And really, I should take advantage of the fact that I have adopted this movie and I can watch it whenever I want. But instead, I just like it to inhabit this little kind of room in my mind, this little pristine mo room where it's perhaps become an entirely different movie. But, but, but of course, as you know... It's an American movie, it's an American high school movie, um, and so therefore there is going to be a prom. And of course, since Andy is a girl from the wrong side of the tracks, she can't afford one of the, the beautiful prom dresses. She can't afford the, the taffeta, strapless, requiring strapless bra, kind of clinched at the waist, sweetheart neckline, that kind of little dip, the V, um, just at the navel. And then, of course, all the taffeta has to puff out and there has to be lots of tulle underneath it. And preferably it has to be kind of a wedding dress type thing or, you know, like kind of cream satin or or, or, or an, an emerald green. Um, but anyway, she can't afford this. So she goes off to her friend Iona's place and Iona gives her the most magnificent um, 1950s dress, which is in pink, of course, Andy slash Molly Ringwald's beautiful um favorite color um and so andy goes and takes it home and because she's very clever at sewing she takes to it with her scissors and she takes to another dress with her scissors and she snips up this glorious 1950s dress and um and she goes and matches it she goes and kind of pieces it together with this 1980s dress and makes something entirely new which actually i thought was a little bit ugly and i really thought that the 1950s dress was the best dress in the first place but I did admire her innovation and her sewing skills and her willingness to chop up something beautiful in the hope that she could make it even more beautiful. I mean, it was a risky move. And I guess it kind of, it kind of, she kind of pulled it off after all. She got to the prom and there was Ducky and he was all alone as well. And he saw her and they danced. But of course, Blaine turned up at that point, despite you know, their, uh, their, their alienation. And he saw Andy in her beautiful, not so beautiful, fugly new pink dress that she had hands on. Such skills, skills, I tell you. And of course, they were irrevocably drawn together. And, and yeah, I think 13-year-old me just melted into my leatherette seat at the Palmerston North Regent Theatre, dropped all my jaffers. It was... Um, it was it was really a beautiful moment, and yeah, I still I still have a lot of love for that movie, and I really should see it again. Well, that was some kind of wonderful, Sarah. Uh, as if I could possibly add anything to that assessment. Uh, well, if you know me and you know me from this podcast, you know that I will at least try. Uh, this is something that she did allude to, but perhaps wanted to avoid spoilers. Um, the only thing I think that's wrong with the film Pretty in Pink, uh, and my daughters can attest to this because I did show it to them a few years back, uh, and that is that Molly does end up with the wrong guy, and we couldn't all help feel that that was very 1986 and that times had moved on. Anyway, um, if you are interested in romantic comedies in general, I recommend you listen to episode five of this podcast. It's my interview with Leah McFall, who's very entertaining and knowledgeable on the subject. So the formative years are very important to a lot of adopters, uh, and the next uh, few clips are testament to that. 
uh, one of whom is uh, not nostalgic about her formative years because she's right in the middle of them. Hello, my name is Ruth Gordon from Kandala. The movie I adopted is Jean de Florette. I first saw the movie in my last year at college. I think it was at the Embassy Theatre. And it really confirmed my decision to go to Vic and do a French degree. I've been a Francophile ever since. I love the music, the original Verdi soundtrack. It's now probably better known as um, the music in the Stellar Artois ad. And I loved the acting, especially Emmanuel Bayard. She was just divine. And I will never look at a scrap of pink material without recalling a certain scene. So if you haven't seen Jean de Florette, do watch it. And Manon de Source, the sequel, is absolutely fabulous as well. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Nikki, the adopted parent of Portrait of a Marriage. I used to live just around the corner from Aro Video, and to my delight, they recently acquired Portrait of a Marriage on DVD. In the late 80s and early 90s, TV had reached a new high in content and production. British series was of a standard to rival feature films with authentic set designs and top actors. In New Zealand, we stayed in every Sunday to watch Montana Sunday Theatre, which had the latest in gritty dramas and lavish period films. Our first view of actors on TV was often the start of their illustrious careers. Janet McTeer was one of these actors. She seemed born to play a Bloomsbury group writer like Vita Sackville-West. Tall, elegant and smart with a velvety voice like a modern garbo. I never forgot the impact of Portrait of a Marriage when it first screened on TV. Everyone I knew was talking about it. The themes were still quite shocking for the time, even 80 years on from the actual events. Cross-dressing, explicit scenes, jealousy, lust and outrage, all quite plausible today. A lesbian affair and an open bohemian marriage between a blue-blood English couple. The double standard of the open relationship is clear when the husband demands his freedom, yet refuses to accept his wife's desires. The costumes and sets are stunning, recreating England of the early 20th century. Big hats, jodhpurs, dinner suits and parasols. The backdrop of the famous Sissinghurst Garden and of Knoll House, which Vita was unable to inherit due only to her gender. Anyone interested in the people and times of Virginia Woolf will find the series delectable. I really feel this was a landmark series in its pushing of boundaries of taste and decorum. And not wanting to be too nostalgic, it was possibly the height of the craft of the period drama series genre. Hi, this is Jade Valor in Wellington, and the movie I adopted is Hamlet. In the John Gilgood production of 1964 on Broadway, starring Richard Burton in the title role. The reason I adopted this film is because, as a young drama student growing up in New York, I had the pleasure and the privilege of actually seeing this production. I sat in the ninth row, uh, looking up at Richard Burton, giving this, giving this absolutely mind-boggling performance, and it was one of my most memorable theater experiences that I have ever had. So when I chanced upon this DVD and Arrow video, well, I had to adopt it so I could just relive that amazing experience over and over again and just love it every time. So cheers, and thank you so much, Arrow Video. I adopted the 2017 Beauty and the Beast movie because 
every time I watch it, it reminds me of when my cousins and auntie and uncle came over from Wales to New Zealand for the very first time. Also, I love Emma Watson, so that's a very big plus about it. Um, she's the one that inspires me to be an actress, which I really do want to be. Um, I, I love all the movies she does, and I think just think she's absolutely brilliant. If I were to adopt another movie, it would probably be The Yorkshire Vet. Um, it's, about, it's a documentary about a vet in Yorkshire where they treat animals great or small. And it's not just dogs and cats. It's animals like um, t turtles. There was once an emu, goats, cows, horses. Oh, I do love horses. Um, and they just show you, they give you a really detailed tour of what they do behind the scenes, which is really fascinating, interesting. They, they show you births and how the babies just come out and it's wonderful sorry rebecca but you can't actually adopt the yorkshire vet because somebody else actually adopted that which is how you came to watch it anyway she's just 12 years old uh, so clearly has a bright future and now for something completely different kia ora my name's spencer hall and i host the new zealand comics podcast i do radio shows and i play music and I adopted the film as time goes by, back when I lived in Wellington, before I shifted to Montreal. And it is a 1988 Australian time travel comedy, but also sort of a drama. It uh, revolves around a young surfer who gets a letter telling him to go to this place in the outback, where he encounters a UFO, which has been disguised as Joe Bogart's diner. The alien seems to have learnt all its English from Hollywood movies, and so he's constantly making references to, you know, Peter Law and Humphrey Bogart and all sorts of other things, Bugs Bunny. And from here, he gets drawn into some small-town politics and a conspiracy. There's a great supporting cast of oddball characters as well, and a meteorologist who's come to investigate this UFO crash. Also the kind of feral hippie surfers who have given our protagonist a ride from the coast to the middle of nowhere. It's a very funny movie, but it's also got some very good uh, dramatic turns from the cast, which include Bruno Lawrence, probably New Zealand's greatest actor in my opinion. You can tell that the people who made the movie didn't have a lot of money, but they had a lot of passion, and uh, it's quite inventive and well-plotted out, especially as far as the time travel things go. Uh, the director of the film, Barry Peake, and uh, his offsiders also ran a cinema which showed lots of cult movies uh, in Sydney and Melbourne called Valhalla. Go check out it as time goes by. The cast are amazing. The writing is really sharp. It's just a really inventive idea to begin with, and uh, there's lots of really good oddball characters. You know, I kind of feel like this movie didn't get its due, and uh, it's kind of flown under the radar, but it's gold, man. Uh, go check it out as time goes by. And that film to which Spencer enthuses is indeed available only on precious VHS tape, so if you rent it, please treat it with kid gloves. The next clips are a little more sobering because of the more serious subject matter, but these three films have all been acquired for the Ira Video Library as a result of being adopted, as opposed to being films we already had in our catalogue. There is a little distracting echo on the first recording from retired film lecturer Russell Campbell, so please uh, try to ignore that. Hi, this is Russell Campbell from Ira Valley, 
and the movie I adopted is Deutschland Bleiche Mutter or Germany Pale Mother, a film from 1980 directed by Helma Sanders Brahms. The title of the film uh, comes from a poem by Bertolt Brecht, uh, Deutschland or Germany, and it begins, O Germany, pale mother, how soiled you are as you sit among the peoples, you flaunt yourself among the besmirched. Helmut Sanders Brahms was one of a most impressive wave of German women filmmakers in the 1970s and 1980s. People like Helga Sander, Hjorta Bruckner, Ulrike Ottinger, Janine Merapfel, Willow Stöckel and Margareta von Trotter. And I particularly like this film because of the way that it uh, interweaves the autobiographical and the historical. It's uh, based on the life of Hermesanus Brahms' own parents and of herself uh, as a young child. In fact, her own daughter um, plays herself, plays Lena, uh, the child in the film. It deals with guilt um, and the father in the film is depicted as uh, committing war crimes and it gives a harrowing depiction of devastated Germany. Helmer Sanders Brahms said that the words turn round, turn round young bride, you are in the house of a murderer kept reverberating in her mind while she was making the film and there is a tremendously powerful performance uh, by the lead actor Eva Matas after the war um, in the film. Uh, she develops this awful facial paralysis and as one critic wrote, it represents the way that history has inscribed itself on the body of one of its players. And to me, Germany Power Mother is one of the most powerful and moving films I've ever seen about the German historical experience and the legacy of Nazism. I'm Shona McCann from Karori in Wellington. I adopted a movie called Leaning Into the Wind, which is about Andy Goldsworthy, a British sculptor and environmentalist. Andy's art is all in the landscape. He creates these beautiful painstaking patterns and forms in landscape settings using materials like rocks and leaves. His work is never permanent. It's always ephemeral. It might last for just half a day, an hour, sometimes um, longer than that, number of days or weeks. But in the end, it'll change and get blown away or or recreated by nature and the only permanent record uh, is on film on Andy's rather beautiful photographs. I loved the connection to land and nature in his work and that includes a sort of sense of history with the places where he has worked of the people who've been there before maybe long, long ago, and he looks for the little signs in the landscape that they were there once. 
it's a portrait of an extraordinarily creative and thoughtful individual, a quite unique way of going about expressing his uh, worldview. And there's an elegiac, slow-moving rhythm to the film that I really enjoyed. I saw it at the 2017 New Zealand Film Festival and knew I'd relish seeing it again. So rather than adding it to my own collection, I decided to adopt it through Aro Video so others could enjoy it too. The movie my wife and I adopted is Fire at Sea. Um, I live in, we live in Wellington and uh, this is a documentary about the effect of uh, migrants from Africa, North Africa, um, arriving at uh, Lampedusa, which is an island, which is Italian territory, uh, but it's very close to Tunisia and Libya, and um, a lot of migrants trying to escape from those countries, trying to cross the Mediterranean, end up there, or uh, frequently they don't they don't make it and they drown, and um, so there's a lot of bodies recovered and so on, and this has been going on for for years and years in uh, Lampedusa. So, and this movie is about uh, the effect of this whole migration issue on the lives of the people who live in uh, Lampedusa. Uh, the reason uh, I chose to, or we chose to adopt this movie is that I worked for, I guess in total I've worked for about uh, nine months on uh, search and rescue ship vessels in the Mediterranean um, carrying out uh, rescue and of people leaving uh, Libya in uh, very uh, unseaworthy boats. So uh, I've kind of had first-hand experience with this this whole issue, uh, and it's a very beautiful documentary that captures um, the tragedy of the whole situation very well. That remarkable story was from Sean Cornelius, and thanks also to his wife, Raywin. So those last two were documentary features from recent times, and this next one is a classic of the form from 1976. Uh, It's Victoria Jones who has adopted it, and we're going to follow her with a series of clips that come from a deeply romantic place. I picked Grey Gardens to adopt, Well, because I love Irish Street video and I don't ever get there very often because I live in the Wairarapa Um, and because Grey Gardens is the absolute best example of reality television you could ever hope to see and that's from long, long before it became fashionable. I would say that at Grey Gardens, truth is most definitely stranger than fiction. Um, There's the foliardeur thing between the mother and the daughter and um, I mean, just mad eccentric people living their lives. It, it's fabulous. Hi there. I have adopted a very long engagement because of the MMM often engraved on various surfaces throughout the movie. It stands for either Manech loves Mathilde or the reverse, as the middle M stands for loves in French. The great love of my life has a name starting with M, as well as my own name, Mino. So that's why. For me, The Sheltering Sky epitomizes a journey of intense love, wound up in immense creativity, which in its passion takes risks. 
and these are often fatal. It's about three people in 1947 who travel in North Africa, and the scenery is absolutely stunning. My name's Dennis Welsh. I live in the Agra Valley, and the movie I adopted is uh, Tom and Viv, based on the life of T.S. Eliot. Not so much because it's such a brilliant movie in itself, but because it's about T.S. Eliot, who's been a big <laughs> influence in my life, and because it stars Willem Dafoe, one of the most extraordinary actors of our time, who not only has appeared in every kind of movie, from The English Patient to American Psycho, recent ones as brilliant as The Florida Project, but I'm pretty sure is the only actor ever to have played Jesus Christ, T.S. Eliot, and Vincent van Gogh. Anyway, all the best to our video on this wonderful occasion. Thank you, Dennis. Okay, we're almost at the end of our clips, and uh, I have a couple that have something to do with mums. Uh, the final word being from my own mother, to whom I owe my appreciation for a good turn of phrase. But first, a couple of short and sweet declarations from two customers who are normally very loquacious, though Margaret did tell me she was recovering from a lurg. Uh, the first one is from Roseanne Byrne. Breakfast at Pluto is my sponsored movie for Killian Murphy, Before Peaky Blinders, Stephen Rare, really seen in movies, and Brendan Gleeson. The last was a complete delight in a womble suit. Hello, my name is Margaret Gulborg and I live in Miramar. My adopted movies are Blazing Saddles by Mel Brooks and Tom Stoppard's play made into a movie, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. My name is Philippa. I live in Brooklyn and I adopted the Beast Wars series. I adopted it because it is one of the first 3D animated shows alongside Reboot and was made also by Mainframe Entertainment and I think that is super important to preserve as a historical piece and as an example of really good storytelling in TV shows. In addition to that, my mum, who runs a small Lord of the Rings fan museum, I adopted for her all three movies and now she keeps the little adoption certificates inside the room on the uh, display shelves, which I think is really cute and sweet. I'm Claire Armitage, uh, Andrew's mum. I adopted Babette's Feast from 1987. Um, I was influenced by my Danish sister-in-law, Marie. I love dark and gloomy films, and it delivered exactly that. I'm as pleased as Punch that at RO Video, Andrew has kept the movie projector's wheel, wheel turning for 30 years, man and boy, or should I say boy to man in Andrew's case. Congratulations to you and the, and the staff. The local and wider community love RO Video and your great reputation, I know, will stand it in good stead for the years to come. Thanks, Mum, and to all those people that uh, sent in those clips. Um, we hope that uh, listeners get uh, a lot of suggestions about some movies to watch. Um, also, if you have adopted one or would like to do so in the future, um, we're still receiving, still very happy to receive audio clips that we can include as bonuses on future episodes of the podcast. 
So thanks for listening this far. Um, now, for those of you that wish to venture further, the next hour or so is a mildly beer-fueled session with my four staff members, though you'll mostly just hear three other voices, as Svenda likes to keep a low profile. But in case you're wondering, she does have plenty to say on the subject of movies in person. One other caveat is that we record podcasts with a single bi-directional microphone. So I have very little control over the mix of the voices. Uh, you might have noticed from previous episodes that some of us uh, have louder speaking voices than others. So apologies for the variances. I'm hoping to upgrade and sort this uh, for the future. This conversation, though, is one for film geeks and list nerds in particular, and we discuss some of the films and filmmakers represented on our list of 100 extraordinary films over the past 30 years. Hi guys. Hello. Hi. Uh, cheers and uh, thanks for coming up and uh, helping celebrate our video's 30th birthday uh, a couple of days before it actually happens. I'll just get you to introduce yourselves and just let us know how long you've been with our video. I thought that would be a good, good starter. Okay. That's <laughs> Simon here and I think about seven years. Or seven years? Seven years. About seven yeah. years. Yeah. Yep. Uh, David, about three months? Three months, that's right. So, David, I just have to interject to say that David's the first person to be appeared twice on this podcast. So, uh, his other, the other, the nickname I have for him is Episode Three. <laughs> just, just letting you know. Thanks, David. Hi, I'm Tom. Tom. Um, I don't remember how long I've worked here, but uh, probably four years or so. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and uh, to my right here is, is Svenda, who's uh, been my uh, faithful recordist on this podcast. Hi, Svenda. Hi. <laughs> and we were talking before, and is it 12 years you've been at Lara Video? Maybe 12 or 13. Yeah, wow. Cool. That's good. So, uh, so Svenda was the only staff member here that was present at the 20th birthday celebration. So that's true. But... Were you just slightly after Flight of the Concord sign? Yeah, I was at the 30th. I, I, no, I was at the 20th. You will be at the 30th. Yeah, yeah, no, no, sorry. You were at the 20th. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I was there. All right. Yeah. Now we're really rolling. That was in San Fran. Okay, so yeah. you were here for that. Oh, yeah, okay, I was Okay, so on the it's door. 2009. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you've been here 10 years. Oh, have I? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> but Flight of the Concords was February 2008. Okay. Were you just... I think you, you invited me along to that, but I didn't come. Right. <laughs> Were you a staff member or not no, I wasn't. at that point? Okay. So was I headhunting you from yeah, the competition? You yeah, you were. Okay. Yep. How did that go down? Uh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so you want my version of events? Uh, no, no, it's okay. Yep. So, so Simon here is uh, formerly of Amalgamated Video, which was another institution here in Wellington. And they, I think, closed a year ago their final shop. They were about a chain of seven or eight stores. Yes. Yep, that sounds about right. Yep. You remember Amalgamated, you guys? I was a member. Yes. Yep. So was I. <laughs> uh, so they predated 1989. So that was when I was kicking about as a movie consumer and mm. you know um, visiting video stores like you guys uh, Tom you're um, United, United alumni that's right 
for about uh, a, six months officially, and then another year or so. Okay. After United lost their franchise, and I was picked up by uh, the landlord, I guess, uh, to continue running the shop and renting DVDs to help pay for the rent, basically, um, which was fun. That was in Brooklyn. Brooklyn, yes. Yeah. I ask that even though I know the, the answer. Oh yes, of course. Because, because, Up the hill in Brooklyn. Because when I came to, uh, when you were selling off DVDs for cheap, um, I, I did made a visit to the store and um, and um, also asked you if you wouldn't mind if you'd like to come and work at Ari Video. Yes. Um, that's pretty much how it happened. Yeah. So I guess Simon, you are you've worked in video stores a lot longer. Than these other guys. Yes, I have. So yep. you. So I, what I was thinking about with the the thirty years is it's been divided quite neatly into the nineties, the noughties, and the two thousand and tens. This kind of those, right. you know, pretty much lockstep with those decades. Right. And um, and when I was when I was doing the working on this top one hundred list, which we'll talk about a bit later, um, the nineties very much came back at me. Uh, as as the decade of exclusively of VHS, but that's something that you are um, you, you were there from from the beginning, pretty much. Pretty much, yep. yep. Yeah, I can, I, yeah, VHS. So I've done it for quite a while. So your first video store job, I don't I don't know this this chronology, but the first video store you worked in was England. Yep. Then Australia, and then you came here to work at Amalgamated. Uh, it's a little bit more complicated, but I I kind of I came here I worked in England then I went to Australia and then I went back to England for a few years and then I came back here right yeah and video uh, shops are a, it's a good way of earning money <laughs> yeah what well, it used, used to be, to be. Well, yeah it used to be yeah. Yeah, that's right um so the 90s uh David we, were you it's when you were born right yeah yeah <laughs> yeah Con- conceived slightly slightly after the store right uh, but you have an avid interest in VHS culture I, um, I, I have an interest in film culture generally right. and and I have a broad interest and I think if you're really rabid about film you have to care about the formats that it comes in right so Tom do you do you remember VHS like what's your recollection yes, certainly yeah so um, my earliest memories of films are VHS tapes. Yeah. Um, I have. Yeah, we didn't have a, v- a VCR until uh, Titanic, so '97. We got right. our first VCR, not too well off, and uh, and our grandparents had one. Oh, so okay. when my sister acquired one of the many millions of Titanic VHS tapes, yeah. we got our first VCR. Right. And I remember being very excited about that. It right. was an older machine from the '80s and the. And the tape would you'd push it down into the top, and it would pop out when it was done, like a kind of yep. robot head. Yeah, kind yeah. Of thing. David would kill for one of those, apparently. Mm. I, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and the remote control was on a wire that went across All right. the room. Okay, yeah. um, beautiful. Right. Yeah, that was our first v, VHS, a <laughs> uh, VCR machine. Um, my earliest memory was having the witches at my grandparents' house. They kept that tape in a drawer, and they didn't let me watch it very often. And I was terrified by that film, the Nicholas Rogue Witches, um, and I could never watch all of it, but I loved it. 
And I remember pulling out the, the drawer and looking into the holes in the side of the tape and actually being scared of what was inside the tape and wondering how that movie was actually stored wow. in there. That's cool. Um, it's one of my memories of mm. yeah, childhood, certainly. Yep, yep. That is kind of a lot, yeah, like an equivalent story of, uh, you know, we were, we were um, the Sunday horrors, Simon, weren't we, that mm-hmm. generation? Yep. And... Um, and it's kind of a, it reminds me of that idea of, of just looking at the television and wondering how the people got inside. It's kind of a similar thing. I'm slightly younger than Tom, and I watched the movie Mars Attacks with my parents, which is obviously a comedy. We watched that on, on VHS like soon after it was released, so I guess it would have been like late 97 or 98 or whenever that kind of came out on tape. And I, I was seven... And I was really scared by the aliens. And my dad took me aside and said, don't worry, they're just made in a computer. They're computer generated. Shortly thereafter, we got a computer and I was terrified of it because I thought it was just packed full of terrifying aliens. (laughs) Nice. Computer creations that were going to jump out. Ack, 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 ack. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. they are, yeah, the witches and... Mars Attacks are pretty... I can see how they would... I tried rewatching yeah. Mars Attacks and it still yeah. still scares yeah. me. Yeah. It's not It's not meant to. Yeah. It's a comedy. It's got some um, jack-in-a-box moments. Yeah. yeah. Someone gets their finger bitten off. It's just... Ugh. Simon, the VHS years, you look upon them fondly. Like, how, how do you... No, no. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we've got DVDs and Blu-rays. Um, I can... One of my main memories is um, constantly trying to explain to people how t- the tracking mach- tracking works on the VHS and why the picture is not working properly and why the sound is wrong. Yeah. And um, it was just horrible. Right. I don't miss the, uh, the... We had this sort of ritual where we would get a brand new tape and for some reason somebody told me that you have to relieve the tension in it, oh, yes. which is to... Uh, yep. Uh, to to fully forward it to the end of the tape and and back again. So we did that for every single tape we ever got. It was, yeah, I, did, I just think it was that. a superstitious yep. thing. Frankly. Yep, no. uh, but yeah, they were high maintenance. But I'm um, so I don't miss all of that. Certainly, DVD has been so much easier. But um, uh, I just mean the 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 era. I suppose is what mm. I'm asking. Oh, the yep. the culture of video rather than the format itself. Yeah, they were very collectible. You know, you know, a shop like yours was, you know, you had some great films. And you have to kind of bring them in yourself, basically. Mm. So that was always nice. And if you had it, you know, yeah, it was quite impressive. I think there was, um, but even in my in the days before I started a video store, as a punter, it was really interesting to just see the, the volume of, uh, of films that were made available uh, in, in the mid-80s and so being able to go into large barn stores and, and you know discover the gold uh, in amongst the... Uh, a lot of rubbish. A lot of rubbish, yes. yeah. Yep. Um, so I've, yeah, I've, I've given, I guess what, thinking about that hundred list and I... I have to admit that when we get to talk about this is uh, that the 90s seemed to loom large uh, in 
you know, over the 30 years uh, in terms of the kinds of films that were produced and what they meant to people. Yeah. Uh, so they, it's, it's kind of strange to think uh, that some of those key films of the 90s still are holding their own uh, 20 or 30 years later. Um, and it's made me think about, yeah, what film means now, you know, in the last... 10 years and, and, and its transition through the 2000s. Mm. So I kind of, as I, I have uh, talked to a, a couple of a couple of interviewers um, about the 30 years, um, the first 10 years, the 90s for our video was was growth and uh, and and voracious collecting, you know, building the library and and um, and VHS, and then the 2000s, uh, the transition over to DVD. Um, and then the the two thousands were also characterized by uh, the Napster syndrome, you know, the digitization, mm. the f- the free free digital content, and the impact and the disruption that ha- that had during that same period. And then the two thousand and tens, I've kind of said, have been pretty much a, a game of survival. Um, so that's sort of how I have quantified the thirty years. Mm. Um, so it's. Uh, because it's a long time to try to <laughs> sum up, uh, you know, quickly. Yeah. So, um, uh, even in the time that you've, you know, the five or six years, Tom, you've been in the, you know, in video retail. I mean, your experience of the changes. I mean, when you got into it six years ago, was it already it kind was, of over by the shouting? It was shaky at that time, and yeah. I was alone uh, in doing it, and I remember being the only person in the shop, and I felt really lucky mm. um, to be there. Mm. My memory of video stores when I was younger was that they were always busy and full of people, and yeah. to have the place to yourself was quite special, mm-hmm. and I guess eventually they hired me. Right. <laughs> um, how do you mean? Eventually, they hired you because you because were, I was a very familiar face there. Oh, I see. So yeah. you were you was stalking the shelves by you in an empty shop. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. It takes a long time. It was new in the door. It was Newtown, <laughs> and uh, and it was in the busy part of Newtown, and I was putting up posters in there as well during the day as a job for Phantom, and um, yeah, I got to know them really well. Mm. The biggest change I've noticed is that when I go to people's houses, they don't seem to have the collections on the shelves anymore that they did when I started working in video stores. And I have a very large DVD collection on my wall, which is I'm very proud of, and I show off to them when they visit too. Mm-hmm. They'll be <laughs> sorry, some Tom. Some sort of virtue signaling to yeah. them, like, look at me. Yeah. Yeah. And one day they'll be sorry, and they'll yeah. be envious. Mm. Maybe not today. Yeah, I've uh, as we are being um, donated a lot of DVDs. Uh, yeah, I mean that's that phenomenon started really happening about three or four years ago, where people would ring us up. First, it was sort of deceased estates. You know, uh, we don't know what to do with these DVDs. Help, do you want them? And then that has uh, evolved into people just decluttering um, like like crazy. So. We're being uh, donated a lot of DVDs, but uh, and so that 
is really what's happened. As you say, your, your, your friends are not having those collections anymore because they've gotten rid of them if they did have them. Um, they've got rid of books, got rid of videos, got rid yeah. of DVDs. What mm. next? Books are making a comeback. Books are, yeah, I see books around. Mm. Mm. Yeah. You don't need the right machine to read a book. No, yeah. Marie Kondo and all those uh, decluttering gurus yeah, mm-hmm. have yeah. done a great yeah. disservice to, mm. to commerce and retail. Well, you know, it's not rocket science, though, is it? You know, I, I don't know if it's... I mean, she seems to have uh, become synonymous with that decluttering thing, but um, it was going to happen anyway. Mm. <laughs> it seems to me, but... Uh, anyway, this is all very doom and gloom. Yeah, it is. Um, any magic tricks or anything. So, um, uh, have you been putting your CVs out anywhere, you guys? <laughs> me, no. You're not my, listening to me. My CV is as it was when I started working here, but that's mainly because I'm not very organised. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I've put my CV out, out a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, I wonder if my CV is still filed somewhere in your um, meticulous filing system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, meticulous, uh, quote unquote. I think, I think I applied here in like 2011 Uh-oh. or something like that. I've got some resentment coming <laughs> through here. A lot of people applied here at one yeah, time. Or yeah, yeah. I must say, about five years ago, the uh, the, the applications for jobs over the counter started work but basically dried up completely so um yeah but uh dave there were no jobs available it wasn't there was nothing oh no no i'm just no good things come to those who wait yeah well it's been a long wait i was i was thinking about it the other day and i first started applying to video stores in 2005 so it's been it's been a 14 year wait, you know, so mm. wow. good, good things come to those who wait. Yeah, but 14 years in your life is a lot more significant than it is in mine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's half my life. <laughs> it's just a bad of an eyelid. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Try 30 years, buddy. Uh, yeah. Has anyone seen how the, the list is going? I think it's going well, from yeah. what I've yeah. seen of it. So we've announced 60 films out of 100 as of today. And uh, to be honest, it's quite um, labour-intensive um, uh-huh. posting each day, uh, putting together 10 films. Uh, so uh, it's it's been a slow process, but it's been really interesting. I had a rough idea of the kinds of films that would appear in the list, and I had a long list, which was roughly ordered you know off the top of my head and uh and then it was decided just through discussion with people that it was a good idea to field some feedback from uh, our customers and um i thought that might be a fraught process because managing feedback is 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 labor intensive but it's turned out to be really uh really i think we've struck a nice happy medium because it, it was uh allowing some input but also having some order to it because I didn't like the idea of just throwing out a a kind of democratic vote 
and then tallying up all the all the votes and then just basically ending up with the same old same old in the top 10 20 mm. places and because mainly because of this idea of um you know confirmation bias you know if you if you have a high profile title you just kind of like oh yeah that's good I, I recognize that and 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 so i just wanted to make it more interesting and basically reflective of the 30 years um of, of our video so make it our video centric so um which is kind of uh uh, my baby so of course I have a lot a lot of input but it's been interesting to see how some films still live in uh, people's consciousness I suppose and others have kind of fallen away so the process that I uh, of, of revealing the films kind of uh, you know five eight or ten at a time each day um, I, I I would only post a film if somebody else had nominated it. So that was uh, that was the system. Uh, and so I got to a point where we're over halfway. So we've got 60 films revealed. And there are still quite a few films on the list that have not been nominated at all. So they're being held back for that reason. And there are others where there is more uh, ambiguity about which title uh, to, to put in from a particular director. Uh, so the part of the methodology has been I didn't want it dominated by ha having one director having three or four films in the list because a hundred over thirty years is very mm. uh, is, is a very small number. One of the things I did do was uh, do a poll on Facebook uh, in terms of which film was the definitive one from the Most the Cornetto trilogy. Yeah, you saw that. I did. I voted. So that was one of the things um, agonised to to decided um, Shaun of the Dead in the end. So yeah. Shaun of the Dead won out. So the idea was that we I didn't decide that with with yeah. certain directors we would allow more than one film, but mm. on the whole um, one was representative. So, oh yeah. So Edgar Wright was an obvious oh, case yeah, where, yeah, where one course, film is appropriate. Course, yeah, I mean, it's the same mm. cast as well. You know. Yeah, right? Indeed. Yeah. So. Um, so that's what happened there. Uh, it was, and that was an interesting process, putting it out there. I did do a, a brief poll on Twitter, including the world's end, and it didn't get one single vote. So no, it's it's that was, um, very obviously the 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 weak link. Yeah, it is. Mm. It's an all right movie, but it's, it's not. But like the but Sean of yeah. the Dead is great, and then hot like yeah. I mean, it's 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 fitting to pick Sean. Sean mm. of the Dead is one of my favorite movies. It's the first DVD I ever bought. But then again, Hot Fuzz, wow. <laughs> so my um, uh, point of view, I suppose, is that um, Hot Fuzz is to Shaun of the Dead what Pulp Fiction is to, is to uh, Reservoir Absolutely. Dogs. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, just in terms of the scale and the confidence of the filmmaking, mm. it just kind of, the first one was kind of a bit of a dry run and the other yeah, one kind of... Yeah, it's a further refined version. It's like uh, Mulholland Drive to Lost Highway. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so David Lynch in at number ten. So Mulholland Drive is pretty much considered the uh, post Blue Velvet David Lynch masterpiece. Mm. Mm. So people are pretty unanimous on that. There were other filmmakers that were much more ambiguous about what was was really the definitive film. Lars von Trier would be a good example. I was thinking you need to have yeah a Lars von Trier, but so. 
I'm not sure if there is any one particular one that kind of encapsulates his whole experience. No, and so therefore he would probably be a candidate for more than one film. However, Dance from the Dark. It yeah. does get uh, yes, yeah, I, does my, get tricky. My sister loves Dance from the Dark. I've always preferred Break, Breaking the Waves, but I'm I wouldn't go back and watch it again. So that's but there was the the there was a thing about Breaking the Waves because that is kind that's of so the one that really did break him uh, as a director. And I, I. There's a couple of reasons why I just went with Dancer in the Dark. Mm. One was because it actually got a couple more nominations than the other one, which mm. was which was good. So I didn't have to take the blame. Uh, but also, just the bleakness of Breaking the Waves so, is so relentless, oh, and um, and so uh, there's a, there is a slight there is my commercial hat where I'm kind of wanting to. You want no, people to watch they, them? Yeah, you want people to watch them. And Breaking the Waves is no fun at all. I've never recommended it. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but Dogville experience. could easily uh, be mm. up there as well. And um, and I'm still considering Dogville for the tail end of the list, but... Pun intended. Mm. Was there a pun? Dogs Dog and tail. Oh, nice. Yeah, you're mm. a Dog end. Tail end. Yeah. I'm interested to see um, Robert Altman's the the player on here, which I only only just watched recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how did yeah. it shape up? Because that is, a, I, I, a, I have to say, it's a personal favorite of mine. I so really it enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, but I didn't know I didn't know anything about it. I just kind of I didn't realize that it was like a, a well well known, well regarded film. I just sort of picked it up mm-hmm. and went, oh, Tim that, Robbins. That's been another contentious one because a lot of people prefer shortcuts. Short um, yeah. But I have to say that just that was one where I just wanted to uh, to put the player forward because it just really affected me when I saw it in the theatre for the first time in, in 1991. I just thought it was it summed up everything that I thought about Hollywood as a precocious video store guy. <laughs> so so it was meaningful to me that film. And the white ribbon is the only Hanukkah in there? It, 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 it is so mm. far. So I, I guess Hidden is the one that... Yeah, is Hidden would be the only other one, but I'm not, I'm, I've only seen it once. And I, mm. I feel like Hidden is more of a Hanukkah film. Yeah. But White Ribbon is a kind of a, it's, an amazing film. Um, yeah, it's the... Uh, it's less genre, which gives it a bit more... I don't know, kudos or something. There's, there's something. Um, uh, um, one of our podcast guests uh, uh, has adopted that one, and he says it's the best movie he's ever seen. That was that was John Horrell. So maybe that influenced me as well. Mm. Um, I want. We had. There was a lot of. We talked about Omotivar on the last podcast episode, and I put in talk to her because I got a, a, a few more votes for that but a lot of people did suggest all about my mother um that's kind of a better known film there was also a little bias i have to say that i wanted where possible to put in films that were not 1990s and all about my mother is 1990s i just didn't want the list to be entirely 1990s which it could have been especially when it's very easy to celebrate the 1990s after 21 years or 20 years it always comes around and you want to uh, get nostalgic about that period um, mm. every time I listen to uh, the 
was it Californication the other day in the car, and I was like, my God, this is great. And it's only because I refused to listen to it for 20 years <laughs> that I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, it was suddenly... The Red Hot Chili Peppers. Really fresh. Yeah. Um, when yeah. I yeah, yeah, would have turned my nose right up at totally. it a couple of years yeah. ago. So I can see the 90s is going to be... Uh, is, is hard to avoid. Um, mm. It's very easy to say, oh, nothing great happened in the last yeah, couple of years. I didn't want to look like a fusty old man mm. at the same time, kind of like, oh, I'm just looking back through a foggy lens at the 90s. But uh, um, there was a lot of breakthroughs in cinema in, in, during that decade. But I guess it was another reason I chose Dancer in the Dark over Breaking the Waves because because it was a bit later and um uh yeah trying to trying to get some balance and have you got a lot of how much miramax did you put because i was worried there'd be too much miramax <laughs> so the, the, i was like we gotta be careful about it the 90s Brilliant. was sort of heralded as the second big kind of indie period wasn't it that's really? where indie i mean to me it's where indie really and, awesome. and when we look back now as well in this kind of landscape of dominated by franchise films the 90s also have so many standalone classic films which standalone big block but films that were big at the time were you know standalone films and now we're dominated by these franchises that sort of never end it it makes them look all the more fresh kind Mm. of looking back very Mm. much so yeah um so i mean pulp fiction seemed to be a no-brainer for number one um that's why i put it i declared it before Mm. uh revealing number two and three because it's really is there any sort of you know it it seems um sorry i'll have have a look in a minute but Mm. uh it yeah, it's almost incontestable, would you say? Yeah, I mean, it's not just a big film. It was a, I was I wasn't around at the time, but I understand mm. it was a big renter as well. I mean, it was a big mm. video store movie. Do you agree, Simon? No, I'd put um, Pop, um, Reservoir Dogs higher than Pop Fiction, mm-hmm. just because I, uh, I think but it's what, a better film. What about the cultural impact, though? I mean, it was just an absolute uh, juggernaut. Pulp Fiction? Yeah. Yeah, but... Reservoir Dogs was a, a discovery. Mm-hmm. It was when you... I, I can remember seeing that in the cinema and absolutely being amazed by it. Mm. So, just... Mm-hmm. And Pulp Fiction is... It's kind of... That's, it's a bit hoary. It's like... Um, that reminds me of, like, when you see a filmmaker's work from from long ago, like Billy Wilder or something, and you mm. don't have any of the context about where it sits in their career, and if it was before or after another yeah. film, and so you don't have that judgment of, like, I've seen them do this yeah. last year when they made that other film, like mm. Hitchcock or something like that. It's it's, um, it's quite different. Like, I, I really hated on... Um, the Isle of Dogs and the um, the Budapest Hotel because watching it going, ah, oh, he's done all of this. Um, it's his old shtick. But I feel like in 30 or 40 years, people will say that's definitely the best one, yeah. um, without a doubt. So, you know, I'm um, yeah. sorry, no, the Budapest Hotel and hopefully Tenenbaum's, is, I hope Tenenbaum's on here. Mm. But, um, mm. Yeah, so I feel like that's um, your perspective because mm. of where you were at that time and what you knew. Mm. Mm. Um, and I didn't. I was too young to see them. So, I, to me, yeah. was, I watched them both on DVD in, in the two thousands and weighed them. I, up I would have to say though that, that that having seen both Reservoir Dogs and 
Pulp Fiction in theatres at the time they came out. Reservoir Dogs was really impressive, but it was the work of a of a cocky young filmmaker who was who just made made a splash and was and was and was brash and and was doing stuff that, that other people hadn't done. But he was still messing with genre uh, very overtly, and also was accused of you know plagiarism or certainly influence strong influence by Asian cinema so so there was a, a, a derivativeness to it whereas Pulp Fiction when I saw that uh it um I, I just remember and, and and I've read many articles of people doing the same thing where they actually staggered out of the theater you know mm. they were just knocked dead and uh, that experience does not happen uh, well it's it's I've had a few profound experiences at the movies but I but uh, that one is the one I remember the most, I think. You know, um, Other cathartic experiences would be more emotional, you know, where you, where you uncontrollably blubbed you know, at certain films that shall remain nameless. But you know what I mean? So to have that impact without having that emotional... Thing or the thing that makes you crack up from beginning to end, you know, with humour, you yeah. know, where you're getting a visceral I, reaction. I don't, I don't want to sideline the whole the whole podcast into a long thing about Reservoir Dogs, but I actually watched the film sort of accused of ripping off recently, City on Fire, which is a, a fine movie, and it's really interesting how really Tarantino took the last like twenty minutes of that movie and expanded it into yeah. an entire feature and added all the style and humour and music to it and made this wonderful kind of coherent film out of it and I don't think his his kind of detract uh, you, you, you can criticise him for a lot of things but I find the the kind of oh you ripped off this movie really petty when you look at how he really took the last 20 minutes of a movie and said this is the good bit mm. and kind of trimmed away all the fat before mm. it and made it into a new thing is, is really quite incredible I, I agree, and and I didn't. I wasn't a naysayer at the t- at the time that I saw it, and I w- certainly wasn't an expert on Asian cinema, and and, uh, and 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 those things did come out a little bit later. I think it was just the feeling that it was a it was a gangster film, yeah. you know. And so I, I always, I t- when I look at movies and and kind of weighing up their uh, their their, uh, you know, trying to quantify their value, if you like, or their you know what. What, how good they are um, there's a there's, there are certain um, there's, a, there's a certain lens that you look look uh, at them with and one of them is uh, degree of difficulty and I find that that a film that tries something that is not playing directly with genre tropes is, 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 is doing a, uh, a more daring thing than something that is being very genre and so I tend to, uh, yeah, you know, kind of. So just, just looking at this, I would have gone uh, Pulp Fiction over Magnolia. Not Pulp Fiction, sorry, Boogie Nights over Magnolia, just because Boogie Nights had the impressiveness of of the first film, even though it wasn't his first film. But mm. and Magnolia was good, but yeah, mm. it was just a little bit. I'm not a big fan of Magnolia, but I just. Uh, yeah. Again, just just uh, going off some voting that was happening. Yeah. Certainly, people did mention Boogie Nights. I found Paul Thomas Anderson in general very difficult to 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 put into this list. 
because he he is so strong in so many areas and I think he's a bit weak in other areas so um, but he is one that I could have easily gone out and done a poll for because he's done a lot of really strong films Mm. Um, but I kind of think of him sometimes as somebody who's if I to make a sort of cheap analogy you know he's got had some really great singles but no fantastic album that's how I feel about him Um, so weirdly enough the guardian has just put out a, a list of 100 best films of the two th- 2000s uh, so the 21st century, century so only 20 years and the number one film uh, on that list is uh, there will be blood and i'm wow. kind of almost making a point of of the fact that we're not even having there will be blood in this list and it's not because i don't like the film i do like the film um but i uh, I'm kind of happy with one Paul Thomas Anderson film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and others will will kind of go, will totally disagree with my viewpoint there. Um, I guess it's a taste thing. There's, a, I'm, I'm really excited about the, you know, the Mexican directors, you know, the Curons and the uh, Anaratus and um, and the uh, the other fella, who's also up there. Del Toro. Or- Del Toro, but there's, there's, there's one more. Who are you? Who's the other one? This. <laughs> hang on. <laughs> time, oh, for a, time for a top up. <laughs> Talk amongst yourselves. You're breaking my heart with that decision. I think there'll be blowers. Yeah, I had a I had a like a riot watching that film. I I and love. Then I, and then I watched it with my dad. And he goes. What's why, why was he such a bastard? That was the only thing he said at the end of it, and then he went to bed. He's <laughs> <laughs> dead. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I still remember that. It's, like, it's, it's, it's great when you watch a film with your dad. And they don't get it. No, no, it's great when you watch a film with your dad, and they do get it. You know, yeah. when you're like, this is really good, and dad likes it, turn you up. Great, mass, mass appeal. Taking him. Yeah. What was it? Right, right after uh, Bastards. Seeing it in the theatre going home and then the next morning being like dad we're going to the movies tonight <laughs> and taking him to Bastards and telling him it was a war film nice I said nothing else I said this is a war film dad we're going to go watch this it's great and we had a right we had the best time watching the Bastards and I felt like it was the best father son bonding I've had in a long time <laughs> just like ah 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 look them shooting Hitler Inglourious. in the face Inglourious Bastards mm. um, yep. in the theatre Fantastic. Nice. I knew when I was watching it, I was like, I'm going to go get Dad and watch this again. Because um, mm. he's in, right into Spaghetti Westerns. So as soon as you hear that, uh, that Feralese riff at the start, mm. I knew he's sold on this, like as soon as they do that mm. uh, in Morricone version mm. of Feralese, Beethoven. Mm-hmm. 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 I guess the problem I have with P.T. Anderson is just that I, I'm a sucker for, I really like strong endings and I just that his final reels are always, always frustrating. That's what pissed me off about um, Magnolia and why I would. Yeah. yeah. There will be blood. Yeah. I like I like the ending of that. And I, mm, yeah. And I, I, the whole bowling sequence with Paul Dunn. I, I enjoyed just, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hey, look, the thing is that this, this uh, list mm. uh, has not been formulated. Mm. But So if we want to put There Will Be Blood in there, in the list, bump something in, in, in I would be it. glad to bump four lions. For There Will Be Blood, because I don't enjoy that film much. 
Right. I think it was overhyped when right, I watched sure. it. Having yeah. somebody tell you this is awesome yeah. never seems to help me or enjoy a film. I must admit, yeah, fair enough. And yeah. I, I could take or leave four lines. I, I enjoyed it, but the reason I put it in was because I just part of the thing about the list is also just a potted history of thirty mm. years. And to it was a big rental, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, maybe no, it was no, the I first breathe out about culturally. There was nine yeah. eleven, and then there was this big lapse of being able to talk about or enjoy or laugh, and then that was the like, <sighs> yeah, the release for yeah. the, for the mainstream anyway, yeah. who hadn't still hadn't let go of some yeah. of the uh, the angst. I was angst yeah, and it's got brass balls, you know, yeah. and it deserves credit for that, mm. you know. Um, um, but it's not a hugely important film. But I think it's just another, another angle, you know, I on the on, on the three decades. In the two thousands, you know, I was a teenager and I was watching a lot of stuff, edgy stuff, and I was watching South Park, and I just remember watching it going, "It's a big deal." <laughs> it just wasn't edgy. It didn't seem to have any edge to me. I was kind of numb to that, sure. uh, that scene. And it's but for a lot of people, that would have been like, yeah. "Wow, terrorism," you know. Um, uh, uh, these people are real people you know mm, sure. um, which I wasn't that surprised speaking of, um, um, yes. of, of South Park yep. you, do you think Team America merits a, a, a nomination <laughs> no no but I loved it, it was when it came movie. out I really I had, I had a really it was a big good movie. Time. serious question yeah 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 it's a wonderful little so I'll take it a no from, from Tom Simon Team America how under consideration. You know yeah, what? You know what? You know what would be more would be more belonging, and there would be Borat than Tim. Yeah. Oh, Borat, yeah, Borat, 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 was huge. Borat was huge. Both of those films yeah. okay. were Borat big, still were big, huge. and okay, they were um, cultural, and they were on I'm point. I'm sharpening, sharpening my pencil here, folks. And then everything just dies off after a few years when they're not topical anymore. Okay. No, Borat's still big, man. Mm. Borat's okay. big, but okay. it was like, all right, all right. I hear you. I, I hear you. I'm okay. not even a big fan, but it's it's a big movie. Okay, so I'm gonna while we're talking comedy. I'm going to talk about another film that has been dropping further and further down the list as nobody has been... It's been orphaned as a nomination, and, and that's uh, Dumb and Dumber. Any any thoughts? Um, I basically... Well, you should put something about Mary, then, if you're going to put Dumb and Dumber. No, I'm not putting something about Mary, no. That was a great... I'm very, 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 very I'm very fond of Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it the last time I watched it. Okay, so a quick poll. There's something about Mary or Dumb and Dumber? Something yeah, about Mary? I want to say Dumb and Dumber. Dumb and Dumber? No. Oh, I, I do. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to I go Dumb and Dumber. It's, it's, something about Mary is okay. great. I agree with you. It's fantastic. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, thanks, guys. It's dated uh, badly. Okay, so bit, yeah. I'm going to lock... Big jokes on it. Um, dumb and Dumber in at number 35. You heard it first here. Um, I went to that movie and I just laughed from beginning to end and I, I, it was a fantastic experience in the theatre and I know lots of people that had that experience So, but nobody nominated it it's been kind of forgotten as a that quote ending, unquote that great movie ending where they just, it's so nice that ending where they just walk off at the end they lose the girl everyone's like what the fuck are you doing here and they just get kicked out of the place out of Aspen and then they're just walking home at the end it's so, it's, it's classic actually is it poignant? I don't know. It's, it's, I can't it, remember it. It's very easy to have a Hollywood ending on that film, but instead, mm. Mm. Uh, I think they do save the day. They like unveil a heist or something. I can't remember, but yeah. the end is them walking home, penniless losers. Nice. Yeah, it's on the, okay. on the highway. It's really um, 
kind of makes a really nice ending for that cool otherwise big film yeah. i'm gonna um this is not not really a comedy but this is another film that's been orphaned in the nominations and a, a significant film in our in in our history and that's what's eating gilbert grape the first film of leonardo dicaprio and of course johnny depp who was we forget was massive um for many not a, years yeah, yeah. Uh, you know he was just a an absolute mainstay uh, kind of to indie film what steve martin was to comedy in the 80s you know it was, it was just like his his name just meant that that was going to be a mm. uh, an interesting film he's yeah, the or, entire reason why i watched dead man i remember mm-hmm. that i remember being at alice's in high school and going what's that that's johnny depp and he looks kind of quirky and he's wearing a hat mm. i'll watch that mm. and i still think it's fantastic mm. so i'm grateful to him for choosing all these sublime scripts possibly the same thing with crybaby which mm. i hadn't seen in john waters what's mm. that it's johnny depp he looks yeah. like a rock and roller i'll watch that yeah um, i mean he he had a we're talking J- johnny depp uh, david who's just re-entered the room um so I'm just saying, do, do you know what's eating Gilbert Grape? Yeah, that, I've that, seen that it. Film? Yeah, um, I, I, I. So I think picked that, off DiCaprio's career. Yeah, that's the one. So, what was his catchphrase? Um, I was on the water tower. I don't remember what he said. Uh, yeah, I can't remember. Um, anyway, I thought that that was something that was uh, worth including. Um, I was too young when I saw it. If I watched it now, I no, might, I might um, appreciate it more. Yeah. Uh, John C. Riley in it, and he really wanted to open a burger restaurant. It's a big. Yeah. There was a big through line. Was he dramatic? There was a big subplot in what's mm. in Gilbert Grape. Mm. Yeah, that was in his did dramatic he, period. Did he start dramatic? I can never he, remember. He, he started dramatic. He was like the next big thing. Like yeah. everyone was talking about. Like this John C. Riley kid is oh, like. Cool. He's going to be the. He was sort of like. Mm. He was like the Philip Seymour Hoffman of his time. See, I don't know where. For a while. Until he, exactly until he hooked from. up with Will Ferrell and then he became that guy. Mm. Mm. Sure. Favourite Johnny Depp film? He was Paul Thomas Anderson's I know, I know, I know. Edward Suzanne. Hard Eight. Okay. Okay, so that was. Is that too early? No, we've got that included. Okay. So that's. I was just checking. Um. So, Johnny Depp, we've got represented a couple of times then. So, just Jim Carrey also, there's a couple of other films, major films, uh, going back to him, that have actually not uh, been put on the list yet. Any guesses? Truman Show. Sure. One more. The Mask. Mask. That was a huge film. Why are you laughing? I had it on VHS. Second second film I saw in the summer. It was one of the biggest films. No, yeah, yeah, let's... Okay. Okay. No, that's, big that's, in '94. Okay. It's We're, nobody reads it. Nobody, <laughs> oh, nobody comes <laughs> in and says, "I really miss it." All right. Maybe, okay. Maybe I'll remind you. So, so I will I remind you, guys. Oh, Eternal Sunshine. Eternal Sunshine. All right. Right. So, right. So, so there's, so there's Jim Jim Carrey with three films. The mask. Represented. <laughs> What's so funny about the mask? It's a yeah. Jim Carrey movie. It was a big movie. I didn't expect Jim that actually, answer. You actually YouTube little clips of it because there's little bits of it we like. I, 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 can't I watched yeah. Tom. It was the yeah. second yeah, movie yeah. I saw. Yeah. I have no problem with the mask. It's I great. Know, no, no, no. In, 90, it's, in, it's just... in 1994, my right. parents took me to the Lion King. Yeah. And then I think someone thought the mask was a kids film and yeah. dropped. Like, took me to that. Yeah. Has the director done anything afterwards? 
Oh, of which film? Of the Mask? The mask. Yeah, I uh, think he uh, was... Uh, it was actually it? Alfonso Cuaron. Oh, <laughs> yeah, So, Eternal Sunshine, directed by Michelle Gondry, so that's the Michelle Gondry pick, but I noticed that's, that I haven't got any Spike Jones in there because I've basically done this thing where I've kind of conflated all of these things into one single Charlie Kaufman script. That one. Mm. Yeah, so sorry, Spike. I really yes. like um, Where the Wild Things Are, but lots of people don't like it. Um, I don't remember it. And then the other Spike Jones great films are kind of all Charlie Kaufman scripts. So, like being John Markovich. And adaptation, adaptation would certainly be in mind. So that's kind of how that's played out. Although mine would contain a lot of films about Hollywood, a lot of films about filmmaking, and, and you know, we're not all film people. So adaptation. You, yeah, so mm. you want to make it about life as much as just films about Hollywood stuff so I've got a collection of um, 1989 videotapes that I oh. that seem kind of uh, appropriate right at this moment because so I just uh, broken bring the those into the, what's that? you've broken the quality scene. I've broken the quality I certainly yeah. have so these are just things that I spent about an hour before this this uh, interview just, um searching through and just kind of oh yeah that's 1989 and so one film Simon you remember John Woo yep <laughs> um, so this film is is a big one for me um, so going back to uh, you know the Tarantino the influence of, of Asian cinema so The Killer is uh, a 1989 film uh, that I just remember being shaken by um, and uh, he followed that up with Hard Boiled and, and then and then he went to Hollywood and made yeah so where is Face Off on the top 100 I was uh, I was wondering when you were going to ask no you see Face Off's on the long list are you being serious or are you teasing me are there any Tarantino it's a, films it's a no, great Tar movie John Travolta films in the top it's 100 a it's love, a I love Face Off Face Off is a great movie it is I'm a great movie I'll stand yeah. behind that I will too um, but we can only have John, one John Woo film. Any thoughts? Hard boiled or killer? Mm. The killer, I think. But yeah, killer. If I had to put one, because okay. doesn't really break through Chow Yun Fat as well? Yes, it is. Kind of the Chow Yun Fat breakthrough. Yeah. yeah, and we've got that he was. Crouching Tiger in mm. there. We all good with that? Yep. That's, we, we that's Ang Lee. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Chow Yun Fat though. Yeah. Yep. Oh, right. You see what we're doing here? We're kind of yep. daisy chaining. I see. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so, any advance on Ang Lee? Brokeback Mountain. I can see Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, you, you, you see how it works? Yeah. I don't. I'm not a what, fan. What Jake? What Jake film have we got? Have we got Donnie Darko? Have well, we it was just an example of the daisy chain effect. Mm. We, we don't have to. We can backtrack. It's a good way to work through it. We, we can go back to Ang Lee. We can choose another Ang Lee movie. And but you see what I mean? At the Hulk. Hulk, we, we, Eric Barner, the castle. Tom, Tom like, is uh, making a facelessness. The Hulk is so. So the castle was an example. So we just did the Daisy Chain through Eric Barner to the castle. Oh, nice. so the castle was, was a film yeah. that I had lower in rank for my 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 private list, and as votes came in, it just became obvious that this is so dear to so many people. This film, so it just kind of kept going higher, and I. Plonked it in at number five. It's pretty good. Yeah. Yep. Rents every weekend. 
Mm-hmm. The Castle, which is an Australian film, I think is, is also huge here in New Zealand. It's one of those films that you see on people's shelves when you go into people in people's homes who aren't who aren't big movie people, but they've got a few DVDs, mm. and The Castle is usually one of them. That's absolutely right, yeah. Um, I mean, for that reason, it could have even gone higher than number five. You know, it was, um, but the, it was Australian, so I thought number five was enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there were a few Kiwi entries, you noticed. So I, I put in Once War Warriors pretty early on. I'm hoping to see Heavenly Creatures in here, but that's because I'm from Christchurch. Sure. And I find that film amazing. Right, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. Peter Jackson, which... To me, yeah, but that's that's just from my own. It has to be from the nineties. Loaded to me because mm. I don't know. It's your hometown, and it's, um, mm. that's really wonderful. Mm. That cinema they run out of, and that, that th- when they've watched uh, the Orson Welles, like the Third Man or something, mm. they've run out. Is the first cinema I ever went to the movies at? Right. Yeah, I remember go- coming out of those stairs as a three-year-old mm. or something. It's really, mm. um, so it's different for me. But that I yep. love that film. Sure. Uh, well, with with Peter, uh, I mean the achievement of Lord of the Rings in itself, you know, is worthy of being right up there. So we haven't quite yet revealed which place, um, but um, uh, I think it is, yeah, one of the significant, uh, what do you call it? Films, trilogies, I think you can call it a trilogy. You can count it as one yeah, film, Yeah, of really. the 2000s, I mean, without a doubt. It so brought about the return of a whole genre that I think yep. was dormant, very dormant, at the, yep. in the 90s at least. What about Hercules? Yeah. I was actually at the, the, Roxy, just, the Roxy Cinema just before coming here, actually watching The Fellowship, funnily mm. enough. Mm. So I, 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 I'll give you a bit more information. So... Um, so, Peter Jackson's trilogy, I'm going to put it in as because I just, mm. I, I actually don't like the idea of choosing one of those films because it's fraught. You, are, you know, people have different opinions about which one. But I've uh, made it either number two or number three. Does anybody want to guess what the the other film is? Um, so, um, the, well, the actually, other yeah. Peter Jackson film? Well, I'll tell you that, that I put Lord of the Rings in. I planned to put it in at, at number three. So does anybody want to guess what number two might be, um, given that Pulp Fiction is number one? Um, Simon, you might... Matrix. Matrix, Matrix is already right. already there. Yeah. So um, You can move it up. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Matrix is there. at number we, we 27. Have, we have Devil's Advocate in the corner over here. Uh, so well, well, the number two I'm thinking of is a significant director who, who has not yet been mentioned or even represented in the list. Um, he's pretty much a household name. And um, is it Terminator Two? It is Terminator Two. Nice. It was number yeah. one on my list when I started at film school. <laughs> right. Sure. So, what do you think of that, Simon? Yeah, I think it's great. You're okay. Yeah, totally. Okay, so we get thumbs up. Cindy, are you okay? Can we not put Terminator 1 as... It's the 90s. Do you know what year it is? <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's the right. Terminator, yeah. the first one's 82. Okay. Right. Something. 81. Right. It was a technic- yeah, technically it's a progressive film yeah. that advanced things and it's... um. Oh, I guess you could also think of... I don't know, you know, it's also um, a it's big perfect action. Movie. Perfect chase. Yeah. Perfect action. Yeah. Uh, it, really good suspense. Certainly. Yeah, it's... 
brilliantly directed uh, as well as the uh, I just yeah the action is just quite stunning um, again it was just seeing it on the big screen and at the time and um, it just yeah was a was a, um, a game changer so here it is nearly 30 years later um, still being still um, being something that set the standard you know I won't go as far as to say it's t you know in, a, in the way that 2001 did but you know what I mean yeah and and now James Cameron's moved here. He's down the road growing vegetables. I mean, you know, it all. That was another reason. You know, the list is very New Zealand centric. You know, I have to give, you know, favour to to locals. <laughs> um, there is another. Other James Cameron films, though, are more contentious. So let's just quickly get that out of the Ooh. way. I wanted to put one other James Cameron film in the list because of how significant they've been. Uh, in terms of getting bums on seats. So, if we do a quick poll... The Abyss? Titanic okay. is better than... I think The Abyss um, it, it, is not, it does not qualify. Oh, no, it's, it is 89, though. That's right, because 89 was the big underwater horror It year. could be 89. It is 89. Um, but it's... It's not. It's not eligible anyway. Just because okay. I say so. Um, no, I like the abyss. Don't get me wrong. Um, so, Titanic or Avatar? I think it should be Titanic, which is to me about the twentieth century. And yeah, it probably should be Titanic. I wish it was True Lies, though. It has wouldn't a it, wouldn't theme. That be cool? It has a theme that hadn't been done. You no. guys are so bashful about talking about this, <laughs> I actually, as I knew you would be. I actually be. really it's like. Just... I actually. I want to put it on record. I really like Titanic. I think it's okay. a terrific. Titanic movie. ruled about three years of my life when I was about <laughs> when I was about nine. It's all coming out. It was well, the I only was, thing I, I talked about. I was a grown man when I saw it. Yeah. So and, it, and I found it. You would have been uh, immune to a lot of. I it. liked it. Mm. Mm. I learned just, everything about that boat after yeah. seeing that film. Yeah, every and detail that, about it. It's it's not so, cool though, is it? And it's so because cool of that, I can't admit that it's a good film. <laughs> I mean, Sven is squirming here. Yeah, I don't think Billy Zane gets enough credit for that movie. He's yeah. he's great in it, mm. and people and people laugh when you um, say that. But yeah. it's got a it's um, got a lot of um, really yeah. on the nose irony in the mm. script, which is really fun. You know. Okay, I'd like you to stand up and say your name and say you're a Titanic fan. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I, I, my name is David Summerfield. <laughs> All right, so Titanic gets um, Titan, Titanic was penciled in, and now it's being penned in. It is a great movie. at number twenty nine. Okay, so I guess we're we're almost there. Um, I think without kind of getting too um, list nerd about it, um, there's just one other director I think that's really significant. If we talk in, in the same sort of breath as people like James Cameron. Uh, and uh, he also has had a, a, an amazing body of work, and people argue over which is better or more important. So, quickly talk about uh, Christopher Nolan. So, thoughts? Simon, what's your favourite Christopher Nolan film? Memento. Because mm -hmm. it was the first film I saw of his. Sure. There you go. It's a good movie. I, I think it's, if we were talking, it's on the list already. I think mm -hmm. if we were, oh well, I think if we were talking in terms of cultural impact, it would be the Dark Knight. Oh, it's been his biggest kind of mm -hmm. shockwave to the cinema industry and mm -hmm. spawned many 
imitators. Mm-hmm. But it's a Batman movie. It is. Did you know? Did you see it? the fine print at the bottom of the list says hashtag no superheroes please. Oh, okay. Um, Inception. Yeah. Dark Knight. I like Inception. Somebody said that he swings big, and he might not get it completely right, but it, you know, it's a it's a hugely ambitious film. And so I, that's why I like it because it's it's taking a shitload of Hollywood money and doing something really weird with it, and I, I just like that. Well, I think Nolan was very smart when he landed sort of the Batman gig. I mean, you you, you kind of can't talk about Inception or any of his films outside of that because he went Batman Begins, Prestige, mm-hmm. Dark Knight. Inception, mm-hmm. that other Batman one, <laughs> with the silly title, um, and and he he leveraged that big studio cachet that ca- mm-hmm. that he had to make these more personal, weirder movies in between, which is really terrific. Mm. Mm-hmm. Enough said. I mean, I really like the Prestige. Sorry, I'll, I'll leave it out that enough said bit. I, I do really like the prestige, but I but too, I yeah, but yeah. I I think um, I think he warrants two films, and I feel that Memento and Inception are the ones. I I just can't put the Dark Knight in there. I just I didn't get through that film. I actually turned it off, which is weird because I really like Christopher Nolan. I just mm. just didn't. It's not me. We've got any Nicolas Cage in the hundred. Nicholas Cage, City of Angels. Just <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke. Sorry. Um, oh, yeah. So many good Nicholas okay. Cage. Um, um, well, <clears throat> Nicholas Cage has only made two good films in thirty years, hasn't he? Oh, oh, oh. oh my goodness! Them's fighting words. Are you, are do, you you do you think it will actually come to the shop if we say that? Are, are, are you responding to what I just said? Yeah. Because you're staring it's, into your phone, David. So I'm, I'm I, looking up his filmography. Yeah. So we're talking Mandy and um, the other one. <laughs> the name I've forgotten. What's it called? Tom. The other Nicolas Cage the one. The latest one. Drive Angry. No, the one where he, the, 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 um, he tries to kill his kids. What's that called? Mom and Dad. Mom and Dad. Well, on the list. No, not no, on the list. No, he's talking about Nicholas Cage. Oh, what has he been doing? He's been saying, what what been about Wild at Heart? That, is that, was that on tape in 1890? I love that film, but... Uh, isn't, isn't that... I thought it might be... Too yeah, but we've, we've got a lynch. Okay. 1990. Um, yeah. Okay. I, I'm, ju- I'm just... I'm just li- I think I'm just arguing Cage did his this. best work pre-1989, didn't he? Probably. Hmm. Yeah. Leaving, Leaving Las Vegas, 1995. Oh, that is a good film. Con Air, yeah. 1997. Okay, uh, what about this concession, oh. David? Face off. You see what we did there? Yeah. <laughs> hey? Hey? Give me Leaving Las Vegas and I'll be happy. You don't like Face Off? No. Why not? Because it's rubbish. <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't feel like I will watch it again before I die. Face mm. Off. I'm thinking about a face-off up at the planetarium. 
I'm I'm in. Okay, maybe I'll, I won't. I'll, I'll, I'll be there. <laughs> maybe I won't do that. <laughs> it's just nice to watch movies like that with a crowd. I reckon mm. yeah, it's a it's a hoot. Yeah, that that yeah. film is a terrific showcase for for Travolta and and Cage's acting styles. It's it's yeah. it's a thing of beauty. <laughs> it's got a lot of birds in it. Nice. You mean um, dubs, dubs not stuff. birds. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. That, yeah, that's <laughs> not dubs. Dubs. Think, I mean, literally, you, it you, has birds. Do you think it. John Woo has a dove guy? Like a, yeah, like he would be like, "Go call my dove man. Yeah, <laughs> get him in here. Yeah. Get the slow ones." Wind talkers, John Woo, Nicholas Cage again. Mm. No, although we don't have not as many now. birds in it. Uh, no. Doves. No. <laughs> These are the days before you went all art house, eh, Simon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. <laughs> are you are you telling me the Bubby's on in the hundred? Priscilla. Bubby. Priscilla. Bubby. Bad boy Bubby. Oh, I want my Priscilla. Oh. So, so that is an important <laughs> film. So, guys, you know, there was an opportunity disagree. to, uh, you know, we both said this to you. The I sent out emails to say nominations, yeah, well, please. That, that was, you know, yeah, I, I mentioned it to you. Oh, yeah. So we've got a bad boy Bubby on the left, yeah, and a, uh, a and a Priscilla, Priscilla on the right. Yeah, just for cultural. You said Bubby, I said Priscilla, and we both yep. they're two Australian films, and I think yep. they're both uh, okay. Great. All right, I will consider those. I can um, remember the lines of people. It just means sacrificing out. other stuff, and then I have to. So what I'll do is, of course, there's lots that don't make the hundred, and then I have to basically justify why certain films don't make it. Well, you won't have to apologise to me. Well, no, we I can know. drop Michael Moore. No one cares about him anymore. Oh, the I I, I think Bowling for Columbine's interesting because it never quite it never quite answers it. Some I I, I sort of question. think about the. My, my kind of thinking about the list is is sort of when it's just a hundred films is films that were significant at the time and also kind of changed the film landscape like obviously Tarantino with Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction spawned a lot of 90s imitators um, Wes Anderson and you know, yeah, yeah. a lot of advertising at least uh, yeah <laughs> yeah um, The Matrix obviously changed things and and Michael Moore in his own way spawned or at least fueled the fire of this documentary revolution that's going on currently, yeah, which yeah. is is is, is an influence on, right. on the store. Yeah. One of the first Michael documentaries Moore's I ever hired. Huge. Michael Moore's been huge, pun intended. Mm. One uh, of the first documentaries I hired, and after that, I was into documentaries. So it was a it was a really easy and mm. very accessible, but it was a documentary that got me right into mm. real life. There's one other documentary that has not been nominated that I'm really keen. To get on there, and uh, and it's another hugely influential f- film uh, because of the format and the type of content that it is. Um, it's not super sized, me, is it? No, no, it's probably one you wouldn't guess. So I'll tell you what it is: Paradise Lost. I thought you were going to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think uh, so. Is that the West Memphis fr- it is, three? It is. Yeah. yeah. So that film again was you know that three-hour documentary at the festival in the mid-90s uh it took a while it was devastating to, to watch that film like as a as a as a as a piece of non-fiction and and the three-hour format really uh seemed to take what the Maisels brothers were doing and 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 kind of 
turn it into a kind of epic and it, that seems to have had a lot of resonance in the culture so not just the, about what happened with the West Memphis Three but the genre itself of um, investiga- investigative true uh, true crime you know true crime is a exactly. huge genre now yeah so that didn't get a nomination because people forget about it and in some ways that case of course is now open and shut we all know how it ends and uh, I mean it's not open and shut because you know nobody's been properly convicted but um, there have oh, been it's a thin red line thin, thin red line I think preceded what? that yeah. yeah so Errol Morris yeah. for sure um but I don't think any Errol Morris film had the had uh, I don't know no yeah. I mean he'd, he'd be up there for sure yeah yeah um, maybe just Paradise Lost just hit me between the eyes more than any of the Errol Morris films um, Errol Morris has the has the that mirror trick with the eyeballing the camera where the person being interviewed is not looking past the camera they're looking right down the barrel of the camera it has a confessional feel and I think that's his his gift to documentaries that mm-hmm. I don't know if there's one film that we can put on the list well but I, yeah. we have had several people nominate Fog of War yeah it's on my it's on my shelf at yeah. home I love that but I wouldn't yeah. I don't think I'd put it on the list yeah yeah I wouldn't yeah yeah yeah, it's, yeah. but it's worth a mention yeah um was well, there anything else apart from films? Anything else that you? Um, it's quite nice. Just I quite like assembling these VHS tapes we put together from 1989, which we'll, maybe we'll have on display for a, a wee while. Um, and I like anything. You know, once you curate something into a into a, a collection. Even this is a small collection, but somehow it just starts to uh, I can't believe that accrue more value by being together with its with other similar. I noticed the blob items. included the, the yeah. blob included here, and the, there's that photo of you in the early days of the store and, and the store's first location down the street with a big blob poster behind you. That's right. Was that a was that a good renter when it? Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, it 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 it, uh, it, it didn't. Um, it wasn't run off the shelves or anything, but it was fairly solid. If you'll, it was know. pretty good. The log was fairly solid. Should Dave? I remind you that I was the person that told you we needed to get that on DVD? Yes. Okay. Yes. Is yeah, that it's, the same blob tape that you had in '89? It, it is the same blob cover, but sometimes we used to replace the tapes inside. So some some tapes because they got thrashed. We had to, and you couldn't buy them new anymore, so we would import them from the UK mm. and replace the tape inside, but the cover would be the same. So it's the genuine cover, okay. and that is the authentic uh, tape there. So you can mm. see the, you know, my fairly sort of, um, what's that, u- utilitarian... Do I get points uh, if, I've, if I've still got a promotional t-shirt for the blog? There's no rewinding in. No, this is not a competition. I, I have I have rented that um, blob tape. That blob tape. <laughs> no, how about? I've got, got a glow in the dark t-shirt of it. Nice. I watched this in the context of knowing that it was Frank Darabont and that he was going to go on and do Shawshank Redemption. Oh, wow. So I was like watching it like he he he. This is so fun, and I had a great time watching it. But perhaps nice. at the time it was nothing too special. But he also co-wrote The Fly too. It's got some wonderful deaths. Can we did, pa- can we perhaps Frank Darabont used to do incredible stuff before he got into all that Shawshank 
rubbish. <laughs> I, I was just about to say, can pe- we perhaps conclude, you know, on uh, on Frank Darabont because the Shawshank Redemption, I think, is still on the IMDb's number one film of all time uh, vote uh, poll. And when I had it on my 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 hundred, somewhere in the lower half, it's just dropped and dropped and dropped and dropped as other films have kind of, because it kind of that film means nothing to me. Anna, did I get that impression from you? I was actually joking. I actually quite like it. Well, well quite, it's, it's quite it's liking it movie. and it meaning something to you. Uh, uh, yeah, not. everybody likes it. Everybody yeah. likes the Green but, Mile. Too, yeah, you know? but it's just. Who cares? What about Misery, if we're going Stephen King? Ooh, Ooh, that's, that's good. Is that too early? That's a nice that one. Nice? That's a nice one. You dirty bird. Okay, so can we take a quick poll for the number 98 position on the list? <laughs> if we can put Misery there. We're going <laughs> Shawshank Redemption. Votes, please. None. Zero. Misery. Four. <laughs> Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, guys. Thanks for, um, for coming up and... Um, Spending some of your Friday night uh, talking about film geeking out. Um, yeah, thank, thank you, Svenda. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, David. Thanks, Simon. You're welcome. Um, so, another beer, anybody? Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks. Thanks. See you at the party on Monday. Thank you very much. Thank you, Simon. I I could have given you. I could give you a lift if you really need it. To the toilet. Oh. Oh, Oh, sorry. You said I'm bussing. I'm bussing for. Oh, I didn't. I. (laughs) I, Yeah, I misheard you. Oh no. Are you still rolling? Yeah.